Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 16. Dan Kimball, in his book, They Love Jesus But Not the Church, says this, Jesus loves the church. Yes, the church is imperfect and we have made mistakes. But if we love Jesus, then we will love what Jesus loves. Now, I used that quote back on May 31st as we started a study on why we love the church and why it's important for us to recognize whose church this is. Now, I would add to this quote these words. And Jesus loves the church because the church belongs to him. It's not unusual for someone to approach me and say, hey Tom, how's your church doing? In fact, last night I received a text from someone and they said, is your church open yet? Well, I know what they mean because they are interested in how the body of believers called Calvary Baptist Church is doing. They recognize the investment that I have in the lives of people. But my response, and my wife thinks it's a smart aleck kind of response, but it really isn't, is usually this. Just so you know, it's not my church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm privileged to be an under-shepherd. I am privileged to encourage folks and share in their lives. I'm privileged to care and share and lead, to equip folks to do the work of the ministry. But even though that's my honor, and it is an honor to be vocational in ministry, even though that's my privilege for now some 46 years of ministry, it's not my church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Christ. Now I want you to know a couple of reasons why that's important. Number one, pastors come and go. You understand that, don't you? Even though Pastor Spencer is still part of this body of believers, his ministry ended and the church went on and at some point my ministry will end and the church will go on. And so if the ministry is built around one individual, that individual comes and goes. But aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Pastors are imperfect. Now, I'm sure that's been difficult for you to pick up in my life over the last nine years. But, but pastors are imperfect. And if the work were built around a pastor, it would indeed be an imperfect work. But the work is not built around a pastor. It's built around the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the perfect one, Jesus Christ. Pastors can't do it all. They really can't. They try sometimes, but they can't. And there are going to be some people that are ministered to in different ways, in greater ways. And some are going to feel like they're not being ministered to in the way that they want. But aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ meets all our needs? Whatever they are. 
And it is so important for us to recognize that the, is the church of Jesus Christ, Calvary Baptist Church, belongs to the Son of God. And we can depend upon Him to meet our needs. Here in our text in Matthew chapter 16, there are some incredible statements that are made. Peter's statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's some incredible statements. I want you to listen to the reading of this passage as one of our life groups shares it with us. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say the John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now this is the first time in scripture that the word church is used. Ecclesia, the assembly of the believers, not only in a local sense, but in a larger sense, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And it's wonderful to recognize whose church it is. Now this morning we're going to look at three different truths that we're going to pull out of the text. And we are going to see that the church that Jesus Christ builds holds to a confession, recognizes the consequences, and is designed by Christ. And so let's look at this passage and see how we can understand something about the church. The confession that we have is brought on when Jesus asks the question, who do men say that I am? The response by his disciples, some, are, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, maybe you're one of the prophets. And that certainly was what the culture said about Jesus. He was just another one of one of, among many great teachers. There are many religious organizations that believe that about Christ today. He's just one of many great teachers, of, of master teachers, if you will. But then Jesus pins his disciples down. These men who had walked with him for three years, these men who had observed the wonder of the miracles, who had heard the teaching, who understood the truth, he pins them down and he says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the spokesman of, of the group, says this, you're the Christ. You are the son 
of the living God. You know, it's so important for us to declare what we believe. Because what we believe then is lived out in how we behave. Our doctrine needs to be demonstrated. And if you don't believe the right things, you will not respond to the right things. And here the confession, the confession of those who had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ was this. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. As Christ, he was the Messiah. Christos is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah, which means the anointed one. In the Messiah, in Christos, all of the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled. And the promises that God has made to his people, the Old Testament made it clear. The Messiah was more than a human being. He was God. And when Peter declared, you are the Christos, he understood the Old Testament scriptures as they foretold the wonder of of Christ. And then he said, you are the son of the living God. You remember at the baptism of, of Jesus, the dove descended from heaven and there was a voice heard this is my beloved son hear him in John chapter 1 the declaration is we have found the Messiah the Christos Nathan in John chapter 1 said you are the son of God And even at the cross, the centurion's testimony was, truly this was the Son of God. You know, it makes all the difference in our lives. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the giver of all life, the one who sources all life, the one in whom we find true life. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 say this. But as many as received him, to them are given the privilege to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Peter's confession, you are the Christos, the Messiah. The son of the living God. Is that your confession today? Is that the declaration of your life? Is that the foundation for how you live out life? I think it interesting that Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. You didn't just learn that on your own, Peter. You learned that because God revealed it to you. The Father who is in heaven. And you and I who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior recognize the wonder of God working in our lives to bring us to himself. 
so that we can confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered him and said, You understand this from a supernatural power. In verse 18, he says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The consequence of that statement was that the church would be built. Now, as you understand that and read the text, a question may come to your mind. Okay, what is that rock? If you study scripture at all, you know that it's a play on words. Peter, Petros, small rock. Petra, this big rock, this unmovable stone, was what God would use to build his church. So what is that rock? There are some that it would say it was Peter. In fact, there's an organized religion that says it was Peter. And he was the first leader of the church. Now, Peter had a dynamic ministry in the book of Acts. It was Peter who who was preaching on Pentecost, and God used Peter in a a very special way. But the belief that a church was built on a man and his ministry takes away the wonder of that which God was doing. There are those that would believe it's confession. Confession. His doctrinal statement, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now certainly it's that confession that draws us to God. And we need to have that statement in our lives. But just saying it doesn't make it so. I believe that the consequences of Peter's statement were built on the person and work of Jesus Christ. As Pastor John read for us this morning out of Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And he is the one who puts it all together. And no one but Christ could establish this assembly throughout all the ages and bring it together for his honor and his glory. Yes, the rock is Jesus Christ. Some years ago, Connie and I had the privilege of visiting the Boston area. And as we were in that part of the country, we decided we'd go down to Plymouth. And we would see if we could find Plymouth Rock. You know, where the pilgrims came in. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. But for me, it was a great disappointment. I expected this huge, massive boulder that identified the the pilgrims coming to America. But the rock was hardly half the size of this communion table. Now, it was underneath the portico, and there were signs all around, and it was kind of cool, but aren't you thankful that the rock upon which the church is built 
is so massive that it will never be moved because it is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Never lose sight of that. That which we do, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is discovered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me read for you out of the book of Colossians chapter 1. There Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The consequence was that Jesus Christ would build his church. Never lose sight of whose church this is. Now I want to move very quickly into the church that is designed by Christ. And if you're Looking at a Bible that has a red letter edition, these next three verses are red letter verses. The words of, of Jesus Christ. And we begin in the, the middle of verse 18, a verse that I've quoted already that was read to us, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let me give you some principles here that I trust will be an encouragement to you. Principle number one, Christ is the head. Circle that pronoun, will you please? I. Jesus Christ is the one who builds the church. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not the movers and shakers. It's not those who are long tenured or those who are tuned in. But it is indeed the church of Jesus Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. We could go to Ephesians chapter 5, where we discover that he loved the church and gave himself for it. We cannot escape this truth. Christ is the head. Not only is Christ the head, but he will build his church. During the 70s and 80s, there were a network of churches that came together in what was called the church growth movement. There were a number of books that came out of those deci decades, Understanding Church Growth, Your Church Has Real Possibilities, Your Church Can Grow. And it started out as a, a work that helped the American evangelical community to couple its love for, for missions and demonstrate that love in the community in which they lived. 
but it very quickly deteriorated. It deteriorated into an emphasis on a consumer-oriented church. And it brought forth the, the megachurch movement. The psalmist says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the church, unless the Lord builds it, those who labor in vain, who try to do anything else, he will build his church. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the Lord added daily to the church those as who would be saved. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians, there are some that plant and, and some that water, but it's God who gives the increase. And if you and I are to multiply Christ-like disciples, Christ-like disciples who are passionate, obedient, dependent, connected, authentic, and relevant, we need to be out planting the seed. We need to be watering the seed. We need to be living the life, living out our confession. But we also need to recognize it's God who gives the increase. It is Jesus Christ who builds his church. Who works in our lives to, to help us take our next spiritual step. Who uses the spirit of God to challenge us and change us so that we might be conformed to his character. He is the one who builds the church. I like the way the text reminds us that this is indeed a divine promise from a divine source. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I want you to note that as we recognize who is the head, we are united together because, here's another pronoun, Jesus says it's my church. It belongs to me. When Connie Carey was our secretary, I made the distinction between Connie Carey, our church secretary, and Connie Gale, my wife, by saying, my Connie. I kind of like that. Now, I do not want you to think that she simply belongs to me. But we do have that relationship with each other. Many of you know that uh, my Connie grew up in a free will Baptist background. And I have said on a couple of occasions that even though she changed denominations, she kept her free will. But we have that union together. And it's wonderful to know that we are united in Christ because we are His. And nothing will ever separate us from Him. Amen? Jesus said in John chapter 10, I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them on my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Our identity, our fellowship, is to be discovered in Jesus Christ. 
I like the way the scripture identifies the people of God. In 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, in 2 Chronicles, we're called my people. In Psalm 100, we're called my sheep. In Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, it says we are his body. Revelation chapter 21 talks about my bride. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the church is the church of the firstborn. And we are enrolled in heaven. Think about that, will you please? We are his. And that ought to make all the difference in in your life. Jesus said, I will build my church. And then he says something very interesting. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to know that the redeemed are secure in Christ. Now, you need to have a word picture here. Gates, doors. Make a city a home secure. Last night we were getting ready to go to bed and it was just a very pleasant evening. And our windows were open and it was just nice to let all the fresh air come in. As we got ready to go to bed, Connie goes over to the window by, by my side of the bed and she starts to shut it. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'll just feel better when it's shut. Not too long into the night, I got up and opened it. Connie did roll over at that time and say, what are you doing? I said, I'm opening the window. She said, okay. After all, it was my side of the bed. I want you to know that as part of the assembled believers in Christ, we are secure in Christ. The gates of hell will not penetrate and invade the church. Gates were not for warfare. The purpose is not to conquer, but the purpose is to protect and secure. And aren't you thankful that death, even the gates of Sheol, the gates of hell, have no power over the people of God? First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about a mystery. And the mystery is when this corruptible body must put on incorruption and this mortal body must put on immortality. And then he makes this incredible statement. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, that, that may pose some questions in your mind. But Paul continues to say, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is law. Now, catch this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are secure in Christ because this is his church. And the gates of hell, even the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. 
he does give to us some authority. And in verse 19 we read, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what's that talking about? Jesus is now addressing the twelve. He's gone from just talking to, to Peter to those who would be charged to live out the assignment on planet earth. And he is giving them the authority to represent Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. You see, the message of the church is not about social justice, as important that is. The message of the church is not societal change. Oh, I wish we could accomplish that, don't you? The message of the church is not political power or peace or prosperity. The authority of the church is to present Jesus Christ and to present him crucified. And that's the gospel. And Jesus said to those who had followed him for now some three years, you guys got the key to this whole thing. Go out and preach Christ. And that which you preach will be empowered. And that which you share will make a difference in lives. Jesus said this in the Great Commission. All authority. You got that? All authority is given unto me both in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'm with you always. Even unto the end of the age. We have an authority to live out Christ. And to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was given to us as Jesus Christ declared the assembled ones, the believers, belong to him. And in verse 20, he charges his disciples. Don't tell anybody that he was the Christ. Now, in just a few days, he would be transfigured, and those who were with him would, would discover the, the wonder of the Father's relationship with the Son. But he is now moving from Israel to the church. Israel had rejected their king. Christ was going to the cross. And the representative that was going to be on earth was going to be the church. You remember that Jesus said to Pilate in John chapter 18, My kingdom's not of this world. So the church needs to understand where it's headed because this world is, is not our home, nor should it be our focus. I don't know how you respond when someone asks you about Calvary and 
identifies it as your church. In many ways, it is our church. Because that's where we find our community, our fellowship of believers, our interaction as we, we share together. And that's a very personal thing to all of us. And oh, how I miss that during these COVID-19 days. But I want you to know this morning that our church belongs to Jesus Christ. Because it was Jesus who said, I will build my church. And you can be secure in that. Recognizing you have an authority. Because one day, I'm going to take you home. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I love the church. Because it is indeed the church of Jesus Christ. 